welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Sorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. My name is Zora Nunda. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening for another episode diving into the koshas. So this episode, we are exploring the second kosha, the pranamaya kosha. So the thing to keep in mind with... um, with the koshas and and really trying to understand how they work is it's going to be a subjective experience. And at first it's all information, right? So there really isn't any experience and how you have experiences with these koshas is dependent on your own volition both physically and mentally and, you know, in the case of today's kosha, energetically. And what I mean by that is you need to develop the belief systems and the protocols in order for this knowledge and this information to create a string of synchronicities for you to have experiences that are somewhat phenomenal in nature that indicate how these koshas manifest and whether or not that happens is solely up to you no one outside of you can make these things happen Um, at first it may seem like it you know we're kind of conditioned in our world to consider or think that there's um, some kind of savior or some kind of messiah or some kind of enlightened being that's going to project onto us to have a phenomenal experience when the truth of the matter is that it all happens within us and the more you dive into this information the more you put it to use the more you see a practicality to it the more you're going to be able to actually have some kind of experience that indicates that some of this information is involved in manifesting the experience. So example, pranamaya kosha. So the energetic sheath or the life force sheath because prana translates more closely to life force than it does energy. And so when you think of life force, there's a practical way to really understand it. You can look at it as a direct link to your nervous system so the actual electric impulses that are 
acting as a force in and of itself, right? So if you were to look at the actual like um, chemical and biological function of the nervous system where you have a, a male neuron and a female neuron and the male neuron fires into the female neuron and that is facilitated chemically by sodium and potassium. So without those two, you don't have a charge, you don't have an exchange. So when you think of life force, you can consider those two words together as part of the function of the nervous system and how the electric energy surges through us at all times and it's interesting that we don't feel it right we're like hydroelectric in all technical ways of thinking the water and the electricity within us work together um, synergistically and we're completely grounded in that we don't shock ourselves all the time right and the only way or the only time we do is when we have pinched nerves or we have nerves that are oxygen deprived and so we have like that numbing feeling or like i said a pinched nerve and we do get this kind of like electrical short where the signal and the uh, electrical impulses don't flow clearly right so that's just like an example a practical physical everyday example of this life force within us so it's it doesn't have to be so esoteric and so mystical like this oh ever elusive life force that is within and without everything and um is in all things surely you can think of it that way but i find it much more helpful to bring it down to earth and bring it into a relative understanding that is directly um kind of coherent with who we are as humans. And so when you think of pranamaya kosha, it is that electric magnetic field of the nervous system. And it is the gateway between our body and the next sheaths. And so if we're only living materialistically and we're only living as a physical being, there's a disconnect between ourself and those other koshas. Even though we still think and even though we still feel, our awareness of the exchange between the two is less than what we would typically look for in someone that has a greater awareness of their energetic system. And I know this, that sounds a little complicated um, and I'm going to break all this down. So the pranamaya kosha um, is very close to the body and it's, penetrates through the body so it's not like it's just this thin layer around the body and it's only around the body it is the full shape of your body and it's interwoven through everything within you because it is a part of the nervous system and the nervous system is interwoven within all 
all of you as well, right? It's all throughout your limbs, all throughout your spine, your brain, everything, right? The whole network of the nervous system is, is there, um, intimately a part of all of your insides. And so if you were to think of the pranamaya kosha as like um, a glow from the energy output of the nervous system, and when we bring awareness to the pranamaya kosha, that's where we start to extend our consciousness beyond the borders of our body. And when I teach meditation, this is one thing I really like to do is to guide in a way where you really become comfortable with your body and so that you can let it be as still as possible. And through that stillness, you feel that the boundaries between the outside of your body and the space around you start to melt away where you don't feel any difference between the edge of your body and the space around you and the edge of the space around you. And so then there's this merging that happens between you and space. And that merging happens from the subtle sensitivity of the interaction of your body with your pranamaya kosha, with your energetic sheath, and the space around you and the energy and the prana within the space around you because there is this life force energy that is all around us in, as well think about all the trees all the grass the particles and the germs and the life forms in the air itself that we don't see so even if you're in in an apartment or in a house and you have some small plants around you, maybe you have a cat, there is still that prana and that life force around you from those living beings. And we're interacting with all of that prana at all times. But the thing is, we're not conditioned and we're not trained to have a subtle comprehension and awareness of that exchange. We're only conditioned to look at that object and label it and have a purpose for it that meets our needs of why we have it, right? So it's so strictly physical. Like I have a few plants around me, right? So on the surface, I'm thinking to myself, I have these plants because I like them and I like having them around and I like seeing them. But then there's another purpose where the oxygen that they release helps me because then it's providing me with fresh oxygen. Then there's also other particulates that they're releasing out into the atmosphere that I'm taking in, that I'm benefiting from, which connects to their own life force, right? Because as they are releasing the oxygen and whatever other compounds, as I breathe that in, my body processes what I've taken in and through chemical reactions uses what I've taken in from those plants. And that's why there are some plants that are natural air purifiers. And there are some plants that even when they flower, 
the scent of the flower has these compounds in them where it's naturally calming, like um, lilac, for example. Lilac is like super calming. So, um, and that's why, you know, if you live um, here in Edmonton or you live in a city where in the summer you do have lilacs and you go buy them, you take a deep breath in and immediately you're like, wow, that feels like smells so good. And then you just like feel so good. And so you have access to that feeling and that ability at all times because there's that life force everywhere. And so the pranamaya kosha is like this buffer and you can either use it to solidify materially and to concentrate your energies materially or and you can extend that out to then reach into subtle awareness to have a more conscientious outlook of the exchange of prana flowing from you into the world and from the world into you and what would that do to your like kind of materialistic mind um what it's done for me is it's helped me let go of obsession around materialistic things right because when you have access to a more spiritualized understanding of the environment around you it fulfills a desire that's very deep-seated in the human consciousness and the human condition that inevitably material materialistic desires do not fulfill and it's a longing for receiving perpetually without the fear of loss right because when we are obsessed about material things there's an underlining fear that we need to protect having that thing so say if it's like a new car you know say finally you know your credit is great um, you have a good job you have some money, you can put a down payment on a car, you end up financing this great car. And you love it. You just, this is the one car you've wanted for so long, you love it so much. And there's this obsession about it that feeds into a fear that you need to protect this vehicle at all costs because of how much you wanted it and how much you love it, right? And what ends up happening inevitably is that that car deteriorates at, at a pretty quick rate. Like it has, um, it, like it loses value and it depreciates over even just like a few years and five years, right? And then what you find, what you find out is that after five or 10 years, you don't like the car anymore and you want something new, right? And so there's this lack of, uh, per perpetual um, fulfillment and that we actually need to re or try to replicate that feeling of that like perpetual fulfillment 
with new things all the time. If it's not a car, it's a house, if it's not um, something that extravagant and that big, it's new clothes, it's new restaurants, it's vacations, it's you name it, right? The reaching out to find how we can be perpetually fulfilled in our deepest desire. But once we come to the truth and understanding that the fulfillment of that deep desire is within us and that our heart is literally the perpetual machine for this life. So from birth to death, it is operating at all times. You don't even have to think about it. It's just continuously pumping, continuously circulating, and its electric magnetic field is sustained and it's always sustained through this life. So it still has a limitation of when it starts and when it ends. But in that container, there's this kind of eternal sense of perpetual operation that we seem to have really no um, true understanding of and we just neglect it. And we have this subconscious tendency to try to find that perpetual nature within how we can continuously get new things and feel happy from getting those new things. And once we figure that out, we say, okay, the material things aren't going to do it. Sure, I like that I have a new car as well. I like that I live in a nice house. I like that I work and I get money. I like that I can go grocery shopping and I can go out for dinner and I can occasionally go buy like a new outfit or something. I like that stuff. But those aren't for the fulfillment of my true and deep desire within me. That is fulfilled from the time I spend in my heart connecting to a whole other realm through the connection with my pranic body. And that takes time and deliberate choice and action and dedication, right? And the dedication doesn't have to be very strict every day. I wake up at 3 a.m. and I do this for two hours. Okay, if you want to do that and you have the strength and will to do that, by all means, right? For me, I don't take that route because I have a lot of other things that I like to do. And so I still do it in the morning before I go to work. And I'm flexible about how often I do it. As long as this whole um, conversation is operating in my mind and that in and throughout my day, I'm contemplating these things. I'm taking time to work it out. For me, that's fine. And so when you get in touch with that deeper, subtle desire, naturally it starts to come forth as presence in your life. And at first it's subtle and it's small. It's not going to all of a sudden be this like huge floodgate that opens and you just can't help having this huge presence, right? Because that kind of presence needs sustainability. And 
if you look at how you are in your life and the kind of balance that you do have, it'll give you a good indication of why or why not your connection with your pranic sheath or your pranic body, the pranamaya kosha, isn't so prominent or if it is, right? So this is where the yoga practice comes into effect on another level. So just like in the previous video about the physical sheath and the anamaya kosha, you know, we had three things that we're looking at, um, breath, uh, food, and physical movement, right? So the one that is particularly important is breath with the pranamaya kosha because like prana uh, pranayama breathing techniques or breath work or life force energy work right pranamaya kosha energy sheath so a practice that will lead you into deeper awareness of your pranic body is going to be pranayama so if there were if there was something for you to do that can be 15 minutes a day 10 to 15 minutes i would really highly recommend doing some kind of pranayama and i do have a video of myself teaching a very particular pranayama that i practice so if you want a good um yet challenging pranayama practice please feel free to message me you can message me on instagram i'm at yogi.zorananda um that's probably the best way right now and i'm happy to send you whatever for free you know i have a yoga video and i have a pranayama video um all you have to do is ask just feel free to message me and be like hey i listened to your podcast and i you know really like to get into some breathing um techniques or some like um asana work because the um yoga video is just short it's just 30 minutes and it's a beginner's level you don't have to have really any knowledge about it it's I made it particularly for some friends who want to be getting or who want to get into yoga. And so I made it so that it's super accessible to anybody, really. Um, and so the pranayama work is going to be especially potent um, because it's working directly with changing your circulation and it's changing how your brain processes through the nervous system based on how much oxygen is coming in and out of your body, right? So just sitting here normally, right? So like right now, while you're listening to this, while I'm talking, your body is breathing for you and it's breathing at an autonomic level that where you don't have to at all think about it, right? To the point where you may not even noticed how often you were breathing. You were you haven't even noticed how many inhales you had taken or exhales. It's just happening, right? You're 
focusing on what you're hearing, um, your thought process is going, maybe you're distracted a little bit if you're looking on your phone, doesn't matter, right? Your, your body is taking care of that breath. And so your brain is getting a certain amount of oxygen through that autonomic breathing constantly. And then your brain over the entirety of your life has built a network to support how it functions based on that much oxygen. So when we sit down and do a pranayama, we are introducing a new pattern of breeding. We are introducing a new way of your body taking in oxygen and expelling from the lungs. So expelling CO2 and other gases that are, you know, accumulate within the lungs. And this is going to change your circulation. It's going to change your brainwave state because when we're just at kind of like a homeostasis of breathing, your brain then functions at a certain brainwave state and a certain frequency and hurts. And once you introduce a breathing technique where you have a prolonged amount of time of doing the pro breathing technique, when you stop, you will immediately notice a difference. So while you're doing the technique, you may not because you're really focused on the way the technique is working. Say if it's like Kapalabhati, um, which means skull shining. So the skull shining pranayama or the Kapalabhati pranayama. This one is an active exhale through the nose, passive inhale, so you don't have to do anything. Your body will just inhale naturally, and it's a pulse of the belly in and up on the exhale. So it sounds something like this. So you can hear my inhale, and the inhale's quick, but I'm only focusing on the exhale. So your body's not used to breathing like that all the time, right? So what's going to happen is after about a minute or a minute and a half of doing that kind of breathing constantly, as soon as you stop, you will immediately feel different. Your brain will feel different. Your face will feel, feel different. Your chest will feel different. It'll be noticeable that something is happening, okay? So... If you were to consider your day so far, so whenever you're listening to this, right? How your day has gone is going to have kind of a correlation to the breathing that you've done throughout that day. And typically, each and every day, we're not at all focused on our breathing we're focused on our tasks so immediately when we wake up we're going right towards task orientation I've got to get up put on some clothes I've got to brush my teeth I've got to make breakfast I've got to go to my car I've got to go to work I've got to go to school so we're immediately task orientated and we've wired our brain through those decisions for years 
all our entire life. So just really think about that for a second, okay? We're unconsciously breathing at a certain rate. Our brain is operating at a certain hertz and brain wave state. And we're making decisions in that brainwave state. And for many, many years, we've repeated the same routines over and over and over and over again, right? And that's what makes how our life operates mostly comfortable, right? So we get into those routines and we do them for a long period of time. And we're content with how that routine is. And if anything takes us out of that routine, typically we get aggravated or we get confused or we get anxiety or we get depressed or we get um, angry, right? So what yoga is, is taking us out of that routine without the aggravation without the anger without the anxiety without the depression right because we are just seated in a comfortable place and we are changing our brainwave state changing our circulation changing our breathing so that we can observe an outcome and the outcome that we observe are going to be subtle changes in sensation throughout our body so if you were to wake up in the morning, say if I sent you that 15 minute breathing technique video, say you wake up in the morning before you make any decision, before you say to yourself, oh, I got to get dressed and I got to get ready for work, blah, 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 right? You get up, you either just stay seated in your bed or you go sit down somewhere with a yoga mat or on the carpet or on the couch or something. And you do this breathing technique, this series of breathing techniques, right? The first day you do it, it's a bit challenging because maybe you're new to it and you need to figure it out. So it doesn't really work that well. But over the course of a week, week and a half, things start to click. You start getting better at it. And say after a month of doing it, finally it clicks and you're like, okay, I get it, right? I can, I can do it and I can stay in rhythm, say if it's Kapalabhati, um, I can stay in the rhythm of it. And then you start noticing how it's allowing you to experience a subtle shift in awareness and a subtle change in perception of the way that your body feels. Because then you do the breathing technique and then you end it and then you sit there silently and you feel into your body. You will start to interact with your pranamaya kosha. And so here's the important thing is when you start feeling these sensations, it's, it's necessary to start labeling the experience as a relationship that is being built with your pranamaya kosha and your life force energy. So that is the next step in that. So the first step is just establishing the technique, just establishing, doing the breathing techniques 
and not really worrying about outcomes yet. Don't worry about outcomes. Just do it and do it and get used to it. And once you're used to it and you start to perceive the outcome, perceive that outcome now with an identification with the pranamaya kosha and the relationship that's being built with it. And that is what is going to lead you deeper and deeper into more awareness and more information and guidance that comes through that relationship. And you'll start to see how that affects the rest of your day because this is that presence that's coming through now. And it's coming through a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time to the point where it hits like a kind of critical mass where that presence is streaming through at all times and you are happily comfortable with it because it's you. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. It's not an entity. It's not a demon. It's not an angel. It's literally you. It's literally your electric magnetic field that you now have a relationship with because prior to that there was no relationship with it even right now I guarantee if you're listening to this you probably knew about the electric magnetic field but you did not have a relationship with it right think about just a relationship with the person in general right when we see strangers there's like this filter that prevents us from really having any kind of like empathy or compassion. They're just a stranger, right? So there's no relationship yet. But as soon as there's a relationship and that filter um, or that um, kind of barrier is taken away and you get to know the person, there's a sharing that occurs. And so we need to establish that sharing with our own energetic system. And this is what I've found to be very helpful with understanding the koshas and really diving into it and and really wanting to understand it because now I'm starting to really get the bigger picture of this relationship that I need to develop with all the koshas, right? And so it starts with the physical body and seeing the relationship you have to your breath and the air that you breathe, to the food and the water that you drink, and to the activity that you do in your life. And so getting into the pranamaya kosha and this new relationship that you're building with it, you really have to check in with what kind of belief systems that you have that are going to prevent you from developing that relationship because one of the biggest ones is religion and what's going to happen is that when you start actually feeling these sensations and you start to actually feel into your body in this new way there's this kind of gatekeeping that happens around phenomenal experiences that if you are religious you want nothing to do with that presence being associated with something within yourself and being associated with you, it's associated to God and Jesus and that you have no say in actually utilizing that for yourself and that it's all the will of God and that you put your faith in it and that there's nothing you can do to actually um, 
really allow that presence to move through you unperturbed and without a hierarchy and without an institution safekeeping it. Then if, if you're on the other side of atheism, from just from what I've observed and um, just like within the atheist community is that there's just a fear of even approaching wanting to have that experience. There's just a fear that's like surrounded by um, rationale and empirical thinking and scientific kind of methodology of uh, observing life in the world is that people who I've taught yoga to who are just not religious and, you know, whether they say they're atheistic or not, that when they start having those experiences, it's like it perturbs them. It honestly like shakens them up and they're like, I don't know what's happening to me. And it's like, just relax. That's just you. It's not God. It's not Jesus. It's not Archangel Michael. It's not this entity. It's not this, not that. It's not your past lives. It's just you right now. It's how you are operating. It's your body. It's your energetics. And it is something subtly beyond that. But we're not going to go that far just yet, right? And the more and more you can get comfortable with doing these techniques and observing them and observing the action of it and not being weirded out by it, like, oh, why, why am I doing this, like, weird breathing thing? Like, I don't, I don't like this. Like, it's hard to do. And just let all that go. Do the breathing. See what happens. What happens? Are you okay afterwards? Chances are, yes. This breathing technique and these things aren't going to hurt you. There's no way for it to hurt you. It's just breathing. You've been breathing all your life. So to take two minutes to go, (laughs) I'm still here. I'm fine. (laughs) Right? So... wanting to explore yoga in this kind of light is really going to help to eliminate a lot of stigma around it, Um, especially in the religious sense of it being satanic in nature and that you're contacting the devil and demons and you're letting these demons um, possess you and... Sure, if you want to think that way, totally up to you. For me, I don't have any bias towards what anyone wants to say or how anyone wants to view yoga and these techniques because I understand the function of them in a way that is more scientific and it is looking at the actual biology and the physiology of the human body as a mechanism. And that's what I think the important thing is, is that you can live your life completely, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? completely absorbed by the complete unconscious function of the body where there's not a single moment in your life where you change anything 
that happens, right? So deciding to do a very particular breathing technique is changing how your body is functioning, right? And I think that's why in like Christianity, it's so um, against yoga because of this belief that the way that the body is operating is the way how God wants the body to operate. So if you try to change the way that God wants the body to operate, you're like going against God. So if you're doing these breathing techniques and you're doing these mantras and you're doing these things to change how the body functions, it's like blasphemy against this perfect creation. So they're like, well, why would you need to do all those things? Because God made this how this is. And I don't need to do those things because that's not what God wants us to do. Right. And so you can kind of see the gatekeeping at a very profound level within institutionalized religions. And so when you step back from that and you go into the realm of science, but you don't allow the atheistic science community to take hold of you and go, oh, no, 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 all those breathing techniques. Yeah, they're not doing anything for you to bring any kind of awareness to something greater within yourself. No. So they just, it's the same thing. They're just on the other side of this, of the spectrum of denial, right? So you go into the more scientific way, way of like, okay, this body is a mechanism. It's literally a biological machine. And at its homeostasis and at its just neutral function, it's breathing in a particular way and why I'm operating the way that I'm operating is because of how it's breathing in the particular way. So what happens when I change that breathing for a prolonged period of time? And then you do it and you see what happens and you make the judgment for yourself. You know, you examine and you develop your own hypothesis. So you say to yourself, okay, I'm normally pretty anxious, right? So hypothetically, normally pretty anxious. Um, you know, I have mood swings. Uh, I get angry. Okay, so that's just like your baseline. So with you normally just breathing the way that you breathe, those are the tendencies that are just happening with your autonomic unconscious breathing. So then you have to ask yourself, so... If I introduce this new breathing technique and I do it every day, I wake up in the morning and I do it for 15 minutes and then I go on with my day, what's going to happen after 30 days? And it's up to you to keep track of it and really watch it to see that after those 30 days, there is going to be a change because the thing is, excuse me, when you're operating in your normal day-to-day -day breathing, you're accessing certain parts of your brain, right? Because that way of breathing has developed a neurology that provides oxygen to the parts of your brain that allow you to think the way that you think in your day-to-day -day living. So when you introduce this breathing technique, you are literally accessing new parts of your brain because the way that you are breathing just unconsciously can't support that new way of breathing. So the brain goes and the body goes, okay, well, we need to put this activity that you're doing in a new part of the brain. 
So then you literally start to access a new part of your brain. So here's the trick. Okay, here's the key in all this and how this connects to the pranamaya kosha and how it connects to expanding outwards. That when you get good at this technique, okay, so don't do it just yet. Just establish that you can do this technique, the kapalabhati, right? Um, skull shining breath. That's all you have to look up. And again, ask me, send me a message on Instagram. I'll happily um, email these techniques to you. So when you get good at this technique, you will feel how you are accessing this new parts of your brain because of the way that you feel and the way that you suddenly have a new kind of mental clarity. That what you do is you start to insert new ideas, new behaviors, new ways of thinking, new ways of being. Because then you are literally coding that part of your brain with all of that information. So you're doing this technique and you're doing it as long as you can. And you're focusing in on what ways of being you want and what new behaviors. And this is really how we take advantage of the neuroplasticity of our brain and how we can rewire things. And the thing is, is the science community is kind of up in arms with this stuff because they don't want to think that we have this kind of control, just like with religion. Religion doesn't want you to think that you have this way of repatterning yourself and that actually God doesn't care about any of that. God, in all truth, wants you to explore all the ways that this body can be, right? It's not gatekeeping. It's not saying, oh, no, 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 I made this perfectly. You don't have to do this and this and this. No, it doesn't care. It's not really how I think divinity and God operates. God operates in total acceptance of all things, right? It totally accepts you if you go into complete sloth mode and just gain 500 pounds. Like, it doesn't matter, right? So... Your choice on how your body operates and how you consider decision-making to a point where you are hyper-aware of how your body is exuding presence. That doing these pre um, breathing techniques are going to be the first stage of that because when you are accessing this new part of your brain by doing this new action – and doing it repetitively over days and days and days and days and days, you start seeding into that part of your brain the intention of divinity, the intention of presence. And so literally your neurological system just grows these new networks of desiring divinity. You see how potent that is? I really hope that you grasp this for a second, okay? These breathing techniques can access new parts of your brain so that you can grow a new network that supports the personal relationship with divinity within you. And so when you do it over a period of time and that network grows, and you got to think, neurons, okay, microscopic, 
So this isn't going to happen over a month. Like in all honesty, this is going to take years, right? You have to really think about why you're wanting to get into yoga and why you're wanting to get into these breathing techniques, right? It's not a selfish thing. You're creating a database and a network to support divinity and presence to stream through. And so that after a critical mass occurs where you've developed a whole network that is large enough in your brain where the simple immediate thought of divinity and presence of love, compassion, and bliss fires within that network and floods throughout your body. Just take a second to think about that, right? I think the reason why most of us, when we think of God or we think of divinity, don't really feel anything is because the network is not there. The support is not there. The wiring is not there. But think about this, okay? Think about Star Wars. Think about Lord of the Rings. Think about Harry Potter. Think about Twilight. Think about um, Ariana Grande. Think about your favorite band. Think about your favorite food. Think about your parents. Think about your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. What happens when you think about something that's been seeded in you for years? The type of music, the type of entertainment, the type of sport. Think about your favorite sport, right? As soon as you think about it, it's just like an explosion that happens in your mind. Think about your favorite concert that you went to, right? That's showing you the function of repetition and seeding thoughts within yourself. And so this is why yoga is a science of developing your relationship with divinity. Yoga is the science to develop your relationship with divinity because it's creating a whole new network to support it. And so that you get to a point where after doing all those pranayama and after doing all of that work, creating the new neurological system within your brain, within your body, that the next stage is seeding that divinity within the next layer, within the next sheath, right? So going into Manamaya Kosha. And that's where the deeper work is involved, right? Um, so I think I'll, I'll leave it there. That was, uh, I think that went pretty deep. But please feel free to contact me. Um, you, can, you can even email me on my website, uh, www.zoranunda.com, uh, Z-O-R-A-N-A-N-D-A. And I'll happily email you back. I'll happily email you the um, yoga video and the pranayama video. Um, you know, a little disclaimer, the pranayama video is my full pranayama practice, okay? So what I recommend is ask for the beginner 
yoga video because I do have Kapalabhati in it at the beginning in the uh, Kriya Yoga or the uh, Akanda or sorry, the Gayatri Kriya practice little warm up that I do at the beginning. So Kapalabhati is in it. So I recommend doing that first because then you'll go through um, the whole practice that I developed. Uh, it's called Akanda Kriya. So you have Gayatri Kriya, which is simply just a warm up. Um, doing a sequence of seated postures. Then you go into sun salutations, then into a uh, simple standing sequence of warrior postures, and then into seated, and then into shavasana and meditation. So it's like 35 minutes, goes by quick. And um, if you're listening to this and you are comfortable with the yoga practice, you've been practicing for some time and you do want to get into a more challenging pranayama practice, I'm happy to send you the pranayama one too. And then ask me whatever you like, whatever questions you have about yoga, about the koshas, about um, meditation, feel free to ask me, you know, follow me on Instagram. Uh, lately on Instagram, I've just been posting my kind of like workout and training days. Um, I'm kind of planning to get more and more into posting yoga stuff. So I'm just kind of planning what my uh, kind of year is going to be like in social media use and, and how I want to lay it all out. So, um, so for right now, I'm using... Um, Instagram is more of a way to um, kind of communicate to people when it comes to my podcast or, um, you know, people who reach out to me regarding just yoga information in general. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, the best way that you can support me right now is to go onto my website get a copy of my book. There's an ebook, which is the cheapest. Um, there's paper copy, there's hardcover. Um, there are meditations that go along with the book as well. Um, uh, everything is inexpensive. Nothing is over like 30 bucks. Um, and my music is on there as well. And you can find my music on Spotify. Just simply look up Zorananda. It is there. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, um, if you have um, something to share, if you have, um, you know, if you're a practitioner of some, some kind, feel free to message me. I'm uh, not opposed to having all sorts of people on on my podcast so feel free to message me about that otherwise stay tuned the next week or so you know i'm not the best at posting on time <laughs> so i'll have uh, the next episode up as soon as i can so thank you for listening um you know, stay tuned at the end here for a song from my album. Um, not too sure which one it'll be, but uh, it'll be there. And thank you. 
Have a wonderful rest of your day, night, and life. Thank you and enjoy. Thank you.